If you've ever wondered what would compel a young and single 23-year-old to move to one of the most conservative Muslim countries in the world for 18 months to work for a family, um, I, I hope you're paying close attention to this episode because this is the story about how I met the Mogards. Uh, I met the Mogards in 2014, so it's been five years now. Emily and Mike are like parents to me. They have four biological children of their own. I am the self-adopted child <laughs> of a separate heritage. Um, uh, but they humored my request in, during this trip that I took to Iowa in 2019 uh, to record two one-hour-long podcasts that have that has been mashed up into a giant podcast for you. Um, in this, we talk a little bit about raising children. We talk about how much they control or don't control uh, their training. Uh, if you are at all friends with them, you would have seen just how athletically gifted their four children are. But this story picks up from where our paths intersected. And that begins with a tragic story of Zion, their youngest son, and his unfortunate encounter with bacterial meningitis. And at this point, I was working for an advertising company, um, somewhat unsatisfied with the, the glory of being in corporate world. And so I decided to look elsewhere and started writing for CrossFit HQ. And this was when Mike uh, was trying to return to the games after he had made his first appearance in Carson, California. And um, during the 2014 CrossFit Open, Zion was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis and rushed to the hospital. Um... Zion was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis in 2014, and this happened on the first week of the CrossFit Open. Uh, Mo, do you remember when I interviewed you for that article? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I remember being at a friend's house, and I was like hiding in a bedroom because I was trying to have <laughs> like a quiet conversation. Um, yeah, and I remember we talked a long time, and I remember we talked heavily on the topic of faith because that was something that pulled us through. Um, so, and what was your, what was it like for you as a mom, like going through something like that with you? It, was... it honestly is like the most terrifying thing to go through and I really cannot compare it to another more, um, yeah, terrifying is like really the best word I have for it. Yeah, basically it's a germ that penetrates through the blood-brain barrier and starts to just eat at the brain. How did he get it? We're still really uncertain where it came from, how he got it. Um, Mo had been traveling to Malaysia the week before and was feeling a little bit under the weather when he came back. Um, that's like really the best that we can that we can deduce. What was finding out? Um, so I had taken him into the hospital and I remember on the way to the hospital, 
all of a sudden having like a real feeling of dread of like, oh my gosh, actually like this is, this is really serious. And he, I was talking to him in his car seat saying, I literally was saying to him like, stay with me, buddy, just stay with me. Come on, like just stay alive basically. And I brought him in. I did not it wasn't even on my radar. I knew something very seriously was wrong with him, but it was meningitis wasn't even on my radar. And when I heard the doctors, you know, they're all in this big um, huddle and talking about what it could be, what it could be. And then I heard meningitis and I was outside the circle. And as soon as I heard that, I probably about passed out because I knew meningitis, that's life-threatening, that's terrible. Um, And then, you know, began to contact Mo like, they just said meningitis and then put him on immediately, like, you know, research and, and just trying to figure out, get our head around it ourselves. I was at our house. And what was your reaction when uh, called you? It all happened really fast. So she was like super frantic, but I wasn't certain on just how bad it was because I wasn't there. I didn't have eyes on him. So. Um, basically, I knew that my job was to try to stay as calm as possible at that point. So I didn't, I didn't really lose it at that point when I was just at home. Yeah. So I called Mo. He was at home with our other three kids. Um, so he was staying with them, which is why he wasn't along with me. And they were unable to treat him at the hospital that I had brought him into. So they needed to take him to where the, you know, the specialist was. So that was an ambulance ride. And riding in that ambulance, I know all the roads in Brunei like so well. And it was like, it was one of those moments where like literally the world was spinning. Like, like I couldn't see straight. Um, I couldn't tell you like where we were. I couldn't like probably even like vocalize what was happening. It was like this really strange feeling. Now I get it when they're like, oh, the world's just spinning or like life was spinning or something. It's like that actually like really happened to me where like things started to get blurry. Um, he was gray. Zion was gray. The ambulance worker was like, they were, the doctors kept yelling like, go faster. And then like he's like flatlined. Um, we lost them for a bit, and actually the traffic at that time was bad to get into the hospital, and we had to run into, we had to um, knock off people's side view mirrors um, because we were trying to create our own lane to get up so we wouldn't be stuck behind traffic, and people were trying to get over, but it, there just wasn't space, and we literally had no time, and so we just started, we made our own lane and just started knocking people's side view mirrors off, <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I think we probably, and the, the doctor, like, it's okay, just keep going, just, because the ambulance worker, or the driver was like, I am, you know, causing a lot of damage to all these cars, and they're like, it's okay, just go, just keep doing it, and so they, we made our own lane, and we just like, all the way up, um, rolled in and I was like in such a I guess just like state of shock that when I Mo had met us at the hospital and when we came in I saw him and I was just like I just went straight to him and just like they went off with Zion and so because I did that and I didn't stay right by Zion's side Mo thought oh we lost it like it's he's gone and because he couldn't figure why I wouldn't be right by the stretcher um but I was like so in need of something like comfort or just something stable or like a rock. So I just went straight straight to Mo. Well, on the way over, <laughs> I was, I had a fuller picture because I, I believe I talked to you again mm-hmm. and I could hear just, 
like how frantic she was for the second time because she called me and said we're going to the, to repost the other hospital. And so then I got in the car and then I kind of lost it. Uh, and I remember specifically hearing the words better than new. I heard that in my spirit. And <clears throat> it wasn't like a comforting thing. It was like a mandate. It was like a command. Like your job as the head of this household, as the father, is to hold strong and declare the truth of Zion will be better than new. And so I had this like strong resolve of when I saw Emily, I was like, all right, better than new. This is my job. This is what I'm going to do. I'm freaking out, but I need to hold on to this truth. And then when I saw her, she ran to me. I was like, wait a second, he's gone. Like, so it was a really weird one because <laughs> in one sense I had this like resolve of like, we're going to win this thing. Let's, let's go. Let's keep the faith. Let's stay strong. And then when she ran to me, I'm like, it's over though. So like, what do I do? Because like, she would never run to me and leave Zion if it wasn't over. So then I was like... Um, the, first, the first step of just getting the bacteria, bacteria under control is an antibiotic. So, but you have to find the right one, so you got to test the germ and figure out what's going to best kill the germ. And so it's just like you're racing against the clock because as long as that germ's in his body, it's causing damage and permanent damage. So they're working really hard to first just get the germ under control and get the bacteria um, under control. So that's the first step. And so he was, um, yeah, he basically went through, you know, he was having intravenous uh, antibiotics, and then eventually they found specifically which one they needed. Um, he was on that for two weeks intravenously. And then, they, like, he needed, like, platelet transfusions, and um, his white blood count was, like, really low and stuff like that. So he needed some of that stuff. But they had no concept. It's, re it's really hard with bacterial meningitis to know what the long-term effect is going to be. You kind of have to let it, um, let time determine. And once you, once you're pretty certain that you, by, like, through a lot of, like, lab tests and blood tests that you <clears throat> have killed the germ, then it's just, like, a waiting game a bit to see, okay, what damage has been done? Like, how far did it get? What actually are we working with? And they actually say three years before they know the totality of what the um, bacteria has done. So once they felt like, okay, we've killed the bacteria, um, now we just have to see what did it do. Um, in that time is when his head started to swell and his eyes started to cross. And we noticed that he was, you know, fisting all the time. And so we're conversing with the doctors in Brunei and felt like maybe we weren't totally on the same page. And so that's when we went outside of Brunei and then we took him to Singapore and they determined that he immediately needed a shunt put in to help drain the brain fluid because it, it just was gathering and collecting instead of circulating through his system. Um, so that was their recommendation, and we went through with it. Like I flew over with him that afternoon, met with all the specialists, and they started fasting him right away, and we were in surgery that next morning. So you talked about long-term effects. Mm -hmm. What are some of these long-term effects um, that Zion has had to deal with? We're super fortunate in that he still has his hearing because apparently that's like one of usually um, kids that survive meningitis lose their hearing. 
And that's one of the first things they'll test for that is um, like audiology tests and stuff. So he still has his hearing, but he does have brain damage that impairs his whole right side. So he has limited mobility and strength and control, limited feeling really on his right side. Um, Like, you know, if you ask him, wiggle your toes, he physically cannot move his toes on his right side, things like that. Um, And so it causes him to have what they call tone where the muscles all pulled real tight, which makes him walk on his toe and makes him pull up his arm. And so he walks then with a limp and then that causes the left side to compensate, which is most of what we're dealing with um, is his gait, is his physical walk. And we feel fortunate all the time that he did not lose like any cognizant ability. Um, he's got some speech issues, but it's not because he doesn't know the words. <laughs> it's just because he has trouble getting them out sometimes, but he's really, he's actually a really sharp kid. He's extremely sharp and like his ability to form complete and deep sentences mm-hmm. is beyond like any, any five-year-old I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Mo, so how do you feel about the, the words that you heard um, better than new now knowing that these long-term effects are yeah um it's interesting we've had many discussions slash arguments about about this um but and i think it's it's important uh, you know to to understand that this type of these type of words could mean something different to many different families but for our family um we don't take better than new to mean um like, oh, he's going to be such an inspiration because people are going to see how hard he works and they're going to see what he overcomes and he's going to be like that for the rest of his life and it's going to be better than new because he'll have unique opportunities to speak and inspire, that sort of thing. Um, that's actually not how we really feel about it. We're like, this isn't who he's made to be. <laughs> like, this child, we called him, when he was born, we called him kind of like the perfect child um, because he just felt, he felt like perfection. And this is our fifth, our fourth. So it's like we had not seen that in the other, in the other three. We didn't think that. We thought they were all, own, you know, all of them had their own uniqueness and glory. But for Zion, he felt like there was some sort of perfection in him. How'd you guys pick that name? Uh, it's kind of a long story in itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but if you could summarize briefly. Zion is like very representative of the place where God dwells, where God likes to be, where his presence inhabits. And um, so I, yeah, there's, it's, it's cool. There's like a series of dreams and all sorts of stuff, but basically I really liked the name and really liked the concept of Zion being like synonymous to the fullness of God's presence. Yeah, I think um, there was just such like a sense, even when he had, when he was in my womb, I like had this sense of like, this is a really powerful child that I am having. Like, it would almost like give a little bit of like a sense of like fear and trembling of like, this is something, this is like very special. Um, and so I couldn't, like, even, I just, like, felt it in my spirit. And then, like, holding him, I just, like, felt, like, like kind of what Mo was saying, like, 
whoa, there's like, it just, there's something that very strong, very powerful. Um, but how I see it like now in the day to day of just like the presence of God is I see like a real tenderness mixed with like a real tenacity basically and <clears throat> a real pursuit of like, um, full and complete love. Like nothing is just like partway or halfway. Um, just like a real like ferocious pursuit of whatever it is that, that he's doing. Yeah. So you kind of saw what I was saying with like maybe how most people would kind of understand that because of the long-term damage that he has. Um, but we're big believers in miracles. We both have pretty amazing stories of miracles in our own lives and healings in our own lives. Um, and so I really believe better than new means better than new. Like, like what you would think of it if you asked a, like, a five-year-old what he thought better than new was. If you asked a five-year-old what he thought better than new was, he wouldn't be like, oh, well, they still walk with a limp and they still have these, this brain damage, but yet they change the world through inspiring them in unique ways. He would say, oh, better than new means they don't walk with a limp anymore. And so um, the truth is when I think better than new, I think it, of it like a five-year-old would think of it. I think... I'm holding on to that truth and that promise that in some way, shape, or form, uh, Zion's brain will be restored and that he will be completely better than new. Um, I want to draw on a little bit on the story that you told about how you both reacted differently mm. to Zion's um, uh, sickness. Mm. How do you, you guys um, co-parent, I guess? Mm. Do you treat Zion... Mo, do you treat Zion differently than how Emily probably treats Zion? Mm -hmm. Like, how is that different? Yeah, I mean, I'm the tough love side, and I'm the, this is the way it is, and and the, this is, you know, the world's not going to do you any favors, so let's let's grow up and understand that from a young age, that excuses and complaining is... There's just no place for it. And so let's move on. But I feel like Emily does that too. Like literally just moments before we, were, we started recording this podcast, there was an outburst <laughs> in the kitchen where Zion was unhappy about unable to catch, not being able to catch fireflies <laughs> today. Um, I feel like you do that too. So how does that differ? Where do you guys differ in terms of how you parent Zion? Mm -hmm. The first half, if you notice the first half of what she said. So she went tough love, but she went 50-50. The first 50%, what, what did you say? <laughs> well, I asked him how he's feeling. Are you feeling disappointed or are you feeling upset because I, or something? I asked him how he's feeling, yeah. Yeah. So basically I entertained his, his, where there's no entertaining for a mouse. Just like immediately like stop that because it's whining. So like before we even get to the bottom of it, just like back it up, stop whining and you will not be heard if you whine. You just will not be heard. Where I'm like, I will listen to you if you whine. It basically, even though I like hate saying that, that's what I did listen to him. You know, he whined and then I listened to him. And where it's like, he will not even get the opportunity to say that he was disappointed because as soon as he whines and he's lost his opportunity to explain himself. I think I'd describe it like this. Like if Zion is, you know, having a problem and he's complaining and whining and not acting in accordance with what we would call righteousness or goodness, um, then Emily will go down and get in there with him and, you know, and, and have that empathetic spirit of like, let me understand you. 
Like, I know that I don't agree with how you're being, but let me get in there anyway and understand you and tell me what's wrong. Let me feel what you feel. Let me see what you see. Let me hear what you hear and explain it to me because I want to, I want to know you. That's, that's her first approach. And then she'll work from that place. For me, if he complains and whines, he doesn't get to access my heart. So there's a prerequisite to get to my heart. And that's a level of humility or a level of softness, not complaining and whining. Um, and so I don't get down there in there with him until he shows me that softness and then and then I'll give him access to my full heart. Oh yeah. I mean he he knows he kids are smart. Um so if I'm not home, he will not whine. Because he'll know dad won't even hear it. But he knew I was home. He knew I was the closest one in proximity. So then he has freedom to whine because he knows I'm going to be the one to first address it. And he has got my ear on that. So, yeah, he's really, he will turn it on and off depending on who's going to be parenting him. It's basically like a flip of a switch for him. And, the, and that's the plus side of that type of parenting is that when you set that high demand, when you set a level that's a high expectation, often kids will rise to meet it. The weakness of that type of parenting, though, is that if they really are in a bad headspace, lots of times it's the parent's perspective, voice, comfort, compassion that will pull them out of that. Well, I'm saying I'm not giving that until you be something. But what if he can't ever flip the switch and be it? What if they can't find that place of humility? What if they're in that moment, you know, they can't enter into a place of, of not complaining and not whining? And, well, then they never get access to you, and then they never mm-hmm. get changed. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's an either-or, um, but I think we complement each other well that way because I think if you just had one or the other, if you had just mm-hmm. her way then he's taking advantage of it. Um, but if you just have my way, then how do you ever get pulled out of a deep mess that you, you can't find the right perspective if somebody's not willing to kind of get in there with you in it? Mm-hmm. So I really don't think that's an either or. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that um, concept is really consistent just with who we are as people. And so, yes, that general concept is consistent throughout all four kids of more than likely just because it's my immediate response is to empathize or to, I just want to understand. I just want to like know how, you know, the inner workings. Um, and so I can't really get around it. Like we've talked about it. And like, if I try another approach, it just doesn't, it falls apart because it's just not me. And same for Mo, if he tries another approach, it the kids are like, huh? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> and so they've, like, really come to understand and really appreciate, I think, like, that's just what mom does because that's how she, that's who she is. And that's just what dad does because that's who he is. And they, they really just trust um, that neither one is bad or good, but that's mom and that's dad. And there's times where I want, like, jump back because I think that was way too harsh. And then I'll look at the kids, and we've had this argument like so many times, but I'll look at the kids and they're completely unfazed. And I'm like, you guys aren't like crushed right now. Like that didn't hurt your feelings. You're not feeling offended. You're not feeling embarrassed. Nope, they're good because they're like, they just so have tested and know the goodness of their dad's heart. And that's just how he rolls that like they are not put off by it at all. 
And so if the problem is not because I always feel like I need to like then go in and protect them or rescue them or like help them out of like their feelings might be hurt. Like don't talk to them like that. <clears throat> and so I want to come in and be like, Maya, no, 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 it's okay, you know. And then, then, then she does get confused because she's like, wait, I didn't think I needed rescued because I didn't think that was bad. But then now you're trying to rescue me, which means that indicates to me that you think that's bad. So is that bad? You know, then you get this triangle of confusion where if I just let him relate to them how he does and they're really, like, they take to it so well. So the concept of identity is obviously a big part of the Mogart household. And this is the point of podcast where people start to try and sell you shit or this is the advertisement portion of the show. But instead, what I thought I would share is a little exercise that Mike took me through when I first moved to Brunei. The exercise, exercise was intended to help me figure out who I was. And so he would sit me down and say, Mel... Who do you believe yourself to be? And just like any regular person, I'd start by naming my achievements, uh, my titles, my roles in life to other people. So I'd say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a CrossFit coach. I uh, am a scholar. I am a daughter. I am a friend. I am all these things. And by process of elimination, he would start to whittle away at all those things those external circumstances that defined who I was he said okay now you're fired what are you now and I say well that still doesn't take away you know the fact that I'm a daughter I'm a friend and then he would kill everybody else on earth everybody else off on earth and he would say okay now who are you and, and that really stumped me because I think without an external event or circumstance that defines who we are, um, it's hard to, air quotes, do you, boo, you know? And um, and so this is an exercise that they do as a family too on a regular basis to help their kids navigate who they are regardless of circumstances, uh, regardless of how other people treat them. If you are um, kind and generous, you're that's a, an internal and intrinsic characteristic that you embody you are not kind and generous because someone else is kind and generous to you you are just kind and generous by yourself and so that should not be um, that should not change when other people are not kind and generous towards you um, this next part of the episode we get into Kala, uh, their um, middle child I guess we talk a little bit about how parenting is a lot about uh, trying not to care what people think uh, and instead following what you believe to be true and the best way to bring out the best in your child. Uh, they share with me sort of their dreams for their kids and the legacy that they hope to leave behind. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, I've asked, I've spent a lot of time asking God who he created them to be. And so I feel like I have a really good sense. I feel like I've observed and just really invested a lot into that question of who they are. It's been a place where I've spent a lot of 
um, spiritual energy, emotional energy. I've written stuff down. I've dreamt about it. I've journaled about it. I've observed. I've blogged about it. I've commented on it, prayed about it. I have all these things on that very specific question that it's (laughs) so um, present in my thoughts that I think it makes it like so the lens of how I treat them and parent them and whatever. But then I flip it on them all the time. Like I'm, they're always doing um, exercises of learning who they are and ha- like giving them a lot of freedom to find who they are and to, you know, go a little bit this way. Okay, that doesn't feel quite like me. Okay, come over here. That's too far over there. Okay, this is like my sweet spot. And then, you know, just letting them find that and then really breathing on like just in when, when you see it, you know it. You, and it's not just my, for my own kids. Like, I can see that in you. Like, when you're in that place of you, it's, like, it's a beautiful thing. It's, a, like, an undeniable, you get the sense of, like, whoa, that's them. And that's, like, such a beautiful thing. And so I get that with them a lot. And so it's just recognizing it. That is so you, Maya. Like, that, Jamin, that is Jamin right there. That's Jamin. And just saying that, that is Jamin, is, like, a compliment to them. Because they know what, who they are, what they are is good, and so if you just call it out and affirm it and recognize it, just speak it out. Kala, you are that. Like, Kala, that's totally you. You just see, like, this level of pride rising up. Like, yeah, that is me. You know, and they feel so noticed. They feel so unique and special in that. So what would you say about that? I mean, I, I fully agree. And then the more that you do that, it's amazing how consistent our kids are. Like, who we've, who we've seen them you know, in ages one, two, three is absolutely who they still are. Like we've seen the common thread. Um, And so that's been really cool to follow. The only thing I would add to that is um, the main question that I ask my kids, I spend most of the time asking them, what do you want? So what do you want? Mm -hmm. And we give them autonomy to answer that question for themselves, to figure it out, to um, experiment when they don't know what it is they want, and to fail in finding it, to succeed in finding it. We give them a lot of freedom to discover, to act on the question, what do you want? It could be simple, like breakfast, something you know, simple throughout the day. It could be something more complicated, like um, what, do you, you know, what type of personality do you want to have? What, what career do you want to take on? What passions do you want to pursue? Um, but the question of what do you want forces a, a kid to then discover for themselves who they are. And uh, I don't know that there's a more productive parenting question. That's an unusual decision. Yeah, it's messy. It's messy. Mm-hmm. It's a messy question because then you got to let them figure it out. interesting because I think each one of them has gone through phases and I'll think hmm not quite clicking with them like something just seems a little off and then usually what it comes down to usually those times where I'm finding it just like a little bit of a rub 
it's not as easy going between us. There's something that's just pulling a little bit. Um, there's just not the, the ease. And um, almost always when I think about it more and try to figure out what is actually going on that's like she's kind of hard to be around or I'm not enjoying him as much right now, it's usually because they're acting outside of themselves. And so they're trying to be funny or they're trying to be cool or impressive or something that is like, that's, mm, that's not you. And um, so I don't know that it's like not allowing or that they're asking permission and, you know, there's like ex- exactly what your question is, but it is they probably have to feel what they're not in order to be like, you know what, I'm actually not as comfortable in that space. And But if you're just always telling them, be, be you, be you, it's like, but they have to they have to feel that that actually feels best to be them. And to know that that feels best, they have to be not them at times. And so I would say, like, it's not always, like, a fun part of parenting because it's like, oh, my gosh, they're trying so hard right now to be, like, funny or, like, or just, like, whatever. And, um, but, no, specifically, like, there hasn't been something that I felt like that's just really out of bounds. Like, I can't sign off on that. And, or it makes me like too uncomfortable or it could be not good for you or something like that. So far we haven't come across something that's just like, that's just out of what I think is good for anybody that could come in, you know, the years to follow. Like we've talked about what if Jamin just says like, he just like wants to quit CrossFit or something like, would we let him? Um, what if they just want to like get lazy? Like, would we? I need to pause for a parenting happen? moment. Yeah. <laughs> that crashing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um. So, I, I. So the thing that I struggle. I think I was reading on your blog was about how different you are from Maya, mm-hmm. which I think most people would be surprised mm-hmm. about because, I mean, not if they didn't really know about you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, especially with her being the firstborn, mm-hmm. right, how do you, I guess, navigate that? Being with her structure and her need for structure mm-hmm. versus your need to have flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that has always been. I've learned to see, like, it's just her dad, I guess. And so you, I've come to just like really appreciate. It. But there's so many times where he has so much more you have more compassion when it's you in them versus when it's your spouse in them. Because you don't... So, like, Mo can hear Maya say something, her need to know or have a plan or control, basically. And it cannot phase him at all. He's just like, okay, that's what, you know, like, let's just answer the question. And where I feel more, like, challenged by it or, like, but no, Maya just like, you know, where I get like, honestly, just more irritated. And then there's certain things that the other kids do that's probably more a reflection of, or just like I pass it to them, or I don't even feel it as like, a, that might need to be, you know, just like soften the edges on that one a little bit. And so like, when Maya wants to have when she's like in the middle of something and then she wants to have the plan for the next thing, it drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, just be in the thing that you're doing. Like, just enjoy this thing. Like just be happy right here. Why are you even thinking about like the next thing? But if she does that with Mo, he's just like, that's okay. Just answer her question. You know, just like, that's not, you know, nothing wrong with that. And so he's like, doesn't get, um, 
doesn't get put off at all by that. But yeah, I think like Maya and I have honestly a some a lot of like similar tugs that like the two of us <laughs> have. Um and we are learning and continue. Like I learned to just appreciate that like, hey, I could probably use more of that. And so instead of being like challenged by that or threatened or like, hey, you are the child. I am the parent. I was just like, you know what? I actually probably need that. I probably need somebody to ask me that question, help me think about that, give me a little bit of, like, foresight in that. So, like, I appreciate that. I've come to that place, and she's come to the place of, like, um, already by 10, like, to the place where she's, like, even if she wants, like, really wants, you can, like, see it, like, rise up. She's, like, you know what? I'm going to just let mom do it how she does it. And, like, I'm not going to step on her toes. I'm not going to ask, like you know, and, and have too much control. And so she's totally like given room for me just to be me. And I've learned to just so appreciate, like, I actually need that voice, Maya. Like I need your voice. I need your voice in my life. And instead of being irritated, I've learned to be very thankful. And I think for her, um, she's learned that we best get along when she gives me space because in the end it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. And I think that's where things start going awry is when she thinks it's not going to be okay. It's very easy for, I guess, um, any kid to look at their dad and want to be like their dad, especially when it's when he's obviously athletically gifted, so that's mm-hmm. accessible to him. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you encourage him to be self-aware on what he wants versus wanting to please you or wanting to please his parents and pursuing CrossFit? Yeah, the the first answer is I, I'm not exactly sure. I feel like it's all trial and error, you know. What I try is to give him a lot of autonomy. That's what I've done from a very young age, probably to a fault even, because a five-year-old running around the gym doing whatever he wants. <laughs> I mean, I remember days where I'd be like, hey, how many pull-ups do you do today? He'd be like, 400. I'm like, bro, you cannot do 400 pull-ups. Like, like you will, I'm going to ground you, <laughs> you know, for doing that many pull-ups. Uh, so, like, there's, you know, it's not all great, Uh but the the good side of that is he gets to discover what he loves to do and who he wants to be, and there's no one, you know, even if I don't say anything, but if, like, I'm watching, you know, he the kids will tend to conform to please those who are even looking on. And so I feel like one of the, the greatest things that I've been able to do is I've been lucky in the fact that I've been able to be at the gym all the time so I can mm-hmm. basically look after his needs but not be eyes on him. Uh, and we have a small gym, so that's even another advantage. Uh, and because I'm near enough, but I'm not eyes on him. And so he gets to be his own person and figure out what he wants and who he is and, and learn about himself without trying to conform to me. So I think that's, that's like a really, really big part of it. And then the second one is I'm just always pushing him through questions, like I said before, of like, what is it that you want? What do you like? Uh, who you know? Who is it that you, who you want to be, and just give him as much freedom as possible to just make decisions. I don't think, well, I, you know, I don't know what other people do, but I give, you know, him being you know eight years old now, newly nine, I give him an an extraordinary amount of decision making power. Like you said, and you know, here's a good example. Well, you just pot, you just interviewed him, right? And he's like, and you said, hey, what do you do on a daily basis? He's like, oh, lots of times we work up to maxes. Well, that's not what they should be doing. <laughs> like, that, you know, they should be, they, they're, they go too heavy sometimes. Like a lot of times, actually. They should be 
Um, and I've had to talk with them for sure about not missing and like working at a weight that you just, you're never going to miss at. But you heard him say, like, we like to work up to maxes. Well, that's a perfect example of like, I let him do that. But is that the best thing for him? Huh. There's a better way for them to train. There's a better template right now. There's a really straightforward path for him to be great uh, in terms of programming. I don't implement it because I think it's more valuable that he takes ownership and learns and fails and figures out what, it, what he likes rather than do the perfect template. So it's just, what are you, what are you emphasizing? But it's not the best, it's not the best approach. It's not the right plan for a champion, or is it? You know, yeah. you can see that. You can see, I'm putting more emphasis on self-awareness and forging his own path, blazing his own trail, figuring out who he is, doing what he loves, making his, you know, making his own decisions, rather than doing the right, the right quote-unquote programming. The right programming then would make me have to tell him what to do he decreases ownership. He walks in the gym and says, what am I supposed to do today? What do you want me to do today? Every time he asks me, what do you want me to do today? I said, I don't want you to do anything today. What do you want to do today? Every time. And he doesn't really ask that that much anymore, but he used to. What do you want me to do today? Hey, what are you going to do? Oh, I don't know. What do you want me to do? Nothing. Literally zero. I do not care what you do. All I want you to do is what you want to do. So it's those type of conversations. The cool one about that one of the cool ones I saw for Kala is there's a field of white flowers. They're actually lilies, and her name is Kala, and there's Kala Lily. And then there was one purple one, and she was the purple one. And just like um, in a field of flowers, like they're all flowers, but then she was the only one that was like purple. Like she just popped with color. That was a very that was before she was born. Um, but it's always been that she brings a life to the room and she brings a beauty to the space and she opens up people's hearts and she does something that just when yeah there's just a beauty more in the sense of not just beautiful but like beauty almost like equated a little bit with like goodness but like um just yeah um very joyful spirit she's just a happy kid um, she's like, for the most part, you know, she can get moody and stuff, but she is usually just like really content and she's like the most also independent. She is like, um, connects with nature and she connects with animals and she connects with just like, um, she's like a little bit hippie-ish, you know? And free spirit, just kind of free spirit. And just like, you know, she'll just like ask questions like, what would Scout be like as a person? Because she, and that's a dog, because she is very much just like, I connect with you like spirit to spirit, not because you are this or that or not this. Like she'll be friends with people that are way older than her or friends with babies. Or, you know, she just doesn't see any um, categories. She doesn't see limits. She doesn't see like definitions. She just sees like this huge, just like, Wherever she just feels like, I don't know. And, and and her physical expression is also that, just like always like long, messy hair, like halftime topless, just not too concerned about, you know, the cowboy boots and not too concerned about if she's just like, just right. But then in the end, it's like, it always just ends up being beautiful. She really has hardly any interest of like, because she just really likes herself. <laughs> Um, what do you think? I mean, I think with her, it's, 
it's fascinating because like, well, who I'm made to be is naked. That's what she would say. I'm you know, like, <laughs> that's who I am. Like, I hate, I hate shirts. Like, I want to show my nips. That's what she would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So it's like, well, okay. You know, I mean, that's an example of like, what do you do with that? Like, so we're leaving the house. Like, we'll put on a shirt, but that's what, but why? Uh, I don't know. Just do it. <laughs> you know, like, so there's like, there's like innocent kind of like small, silly things at this point. But I would imagine as she gets older, like, there's going to be some challenges for sure. As for us, it's like, yeah, I mean, there's no denying that's who she's been ever since she's young. So, like, how do you help her navigate culture and society? And, uh, I mean, the key for us is, as parents, is how do we avoid caring what other people think? Because mm-hmm. that's the challenge, right? Like, she walks out of the house naked. Do I care? Not really. Like, why do I care? I don't know. But what do I care about? What other people think? Other people see me as responsible. How could you let your kid, da 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 and it's that sort of thing. So, like, she's going to be a challenge for us and really test um, how much we are going to bend to the p- opinions of other people. Right. And, and speaking of opinions of other people, one of the things that you guys have, have done, and we've spoken about this pre- uh, on our previous podcast, um, you've allowed your kids to navigate the world of social, social mm-hmm. media at a very I get people ask me a lot, like, um, if they come across bad material, if they get creepy people to DM them or message them, or, like, do we monitor who um, who they interact with? Um, so mostly I think it's just, like, fear of predators and, um, like, that that's, like, a real thing. We also get, like, just some negative comments about what we let our kids do about, you know, like weightlifting or fitness at, to the level that they do it at this young age. But just the concept of having social media, um, that's honestly like we, we really don't have a lot of rules (laughs) for it. Like Maya, I don't ask her every day, like, Hey, did anybody message you today? Did you get anything weird? I just like, so trust, um, one, that she will notify me if she gets something that's, um, and that she'll just shut it down. Like, she's just not, I don't know, I, it's just not really, like, a thing. Um, Jamin, we monitor his account more um, because he's, one, he's not as interested in, like, keeping up with it. So, like, he'll let things go or he won't post or whatever, you know. Um, and so we just help, like, stay current. And then Kala is still under our... Like, I help her with all of it. So um, part of it is, like, to the child. But, yeah, I I think that there's, like, a real, like, what if they come across something bad? We're, like, we have equipped our kids to if they come across something bad. And instead of, like, just categorizing everything as good and bad, we really try to stay away from that, you know? So, like, I think we've, you know, talked about this. They follow friends that post all sorts of stuff, you know? And instead of, like, saying, like, well, that's bad. They used a bad word, or that's bad. They showed their butt, or that's bad. They did it. It's like, no, it's um, just just giving, really, like, veering away from judgment and really veering away from 
categorizing good and bad. And so when these parents are saying, like, aren't you worried they're going to see something bad? It's like, they probably have. <laughs> and they just probably don't immediately, like, think, like, oh, that's so bad. Because they, like, have a non-judgmental or just, like, more of an understanding um, approach, I guess, that would allow them to look at that and be like, okay, keep scrolling or... Or maybe it's offensive, maybe it's not, but like they can just like manage it a yeah. lot better, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think it started with Jamin <clears throat> saying, I want to go to the CrossFit Games, I want to be a professional CrossFit athlete. I'm like, well, if you do, like in 2019 or, you know, back in 15, I guess he would have said that five years ago, um, then we have a tremendous opportunity in this day and age to do that full time and not have to work another job. You know, 15, 20 years ago, if you want to be a professional weightlifter, niche sport athlete, you're working two jobs and doing it as a hobby, trying to make the Olympics or something. In this day and age, the power of personal brand and social media, you can actually do it full time if you play the game and and build a personal brand through the internet. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about that is that because you've made it like not such a privilege to be on the screen, they don't actually want to be on mm-hmm. their phones or their tablets all that much. Mm-hmm. We've just traveled together for a few days, and that is literally the last resort for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they, ha- if they can't go out to play, they can't play <laughs> with each other, yeah. then they'll like, go to their That's so true, too. It is not their default at all. And it's, it's so counterintuitive. You give them the maximum freedom to be on it whenever they want, and then it's not what they choose. Mm-hmm. You restrict, and then all of a sudden... Isn't it just, it's just so interesting that way. Yeah. Um, one thing that you kind of touched on is just not labeling good and bad. Mm-hmm. And so can you give us an example of how you help them navigate just what, how to select what they look at or how, mm-hmm. yeah. We talk a lot about, <laughs> sorry, about, um, well, just like what is productive, I guess, what is uh doing something that one benefits others and doing something that is pushing them forward and who they believe themselves to be. And so um, consuming meaningless nonsense or something that, you know, could even be vulgar is neither going to be in the category of um, being to the benefit of others or it's going to be in the category, nor in the category of propelling them forward into a fuller version of themselves. And so it's pretty much like if it doesn't fall in those categories, like then it's, it's not worth your time. And um, it's not what you're, we've designed your freedom to be, you know. Um, yeah, just being producers instead of consumers was like the general speech of like doing things that will allow you to be producers of something, be the creator, be the... Um, learning something and so sometimes you have to consume in order to produce right like you got to take it in and you got to make it your own and you got to make sense of it or whatever you got to learn skills so that you can produce but it should serve that end of eventually you are producing something um and so a lot of you know youtube stuff or whatever that they might be interested in and that can be fine as hobby will not have any promise or potential of it leading to producing anything. Okay. That's cool. Um, I'm going to close it off by asking you guys how parenting has changed to you. For me, 
I always envisioned myself as being a mom. So I don't really feel like I'm like outside of what my dream was. Like, for instance, like my mom never saw herself being a mom. So she was like, I didn't want kids. I didn't know I wanted kids. Like that's not what I saw myself doing, you know? So her whole life has been a surprise of that wasn't me. I was like, I just know I want to be a mom, but experiencing, um, I think like basically the concept of legacy and having them just like surpass you and like is, is very fulfilling. Like I sure hope that they are far beyond and that will be my greatest joy. And it really is. It's like, sounds like something that parents say like, Oh, I hope you'll be better than I ever was. It's like, no, I, I, that's my goal. Like I really is. That's something that I so passionately yearn for is for them to be so much live a life that's rich and full in all those ways and so when that becomes what excites me is to help them on that then I don't get lost in it but it gives me a dual purpose of like be living a full and rich life myself because they won't if you don't um but the dual purpose of like giving everything you can to for them to do that and then that inspires you to do it for yourself. I think I can connect with that. Before we had Maya, I had a specific moment in our kitchen where I was just doing something, making toast or something, and all of a sudden I got stopped with these words, your child will be greater than you. Like, like who said, like it was really like an audible voice, like, like whoa and like two weeks later you were pregnant Mm -hmm. and um so the idea of legacy the idea of your children out surpassing you um the idea of building upon and passing down from generation to generation uh is is always something that's been with us um I think the change for me something that's changed from beginning to now is this idea of somebody like investing in the generation because somebody invested in me. So this idea of something about the process of parenting has made me be more grateful and more thankful that somebody laid down their life for me, so it makes me want to lay down my life for them. And something about kind of paying it forward or passing passing it on, it, it really is like thankfulness that somebody gave their life selflessly, sacrificially to raise me, and my parents gave all of themselves for me and so it uh something in parenting makes you realize that more you do this you're like oh yeah i remember my parents did that for me you know (laughs) you go to that game you go to that practice you drive them to that place you change that diaper and you're like someone changed mine though and so it makes you want to it makes you want to pass it on and it gives you energy uh it gives you strength to to pass that goodness on because i didn't choose my life someone else chose it for me and that's something I cannot do in my own strength. I had I was absolutely dependent on someone else to give me life, and um, I didn't think about that stuff before before parenting. And now that stuff's heavy and real, and good, and it's something that motivates me to try to uh, to pass it on to the next generation. Cool. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>